MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. Today, three more Supreme Court decisions were handed down. The Trump administration flails in the face of the new Russia intel. Trump supporter groups are banned from Reddit and Twitch for hateful rhetoric. The Democrats propose strengthening inherent contempt powers. The administration knowingly sent out flawed COVID antibody tests. A lawyer couple drew and pointed guns at protesters. And the Golden State Killer pleads guilty and a police SUV runs down protesters. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, we have a beefy news day. So there's not a lot of headlines, but there's a lot of substance to each one. Uh, I'll be talking to con law expert Harry Littman from the Talking Feds pod about the SCOTUS decisions today, including an interesting 414 stare decisis ruling striking down a Louisiana law that limited access to abortions. Big win for pro-choice activists. Um, I'm going to be also talking about uh, the constitutionality of Elizabeth Warren's Consumer Protection Bureau, uh, and they were trying to gut that. And a First Amendment case about whether non-governmental organizations were allowed to force foreign non-governmental organizations to denounce prostitution in order to receive um, funding to fight HIV-AIDS. I'll also be speaking to the former deputy assistant of the FBI for counterintelligence, uh, Frank Fogluzzi, about the Russian bounties and the new news that's come out about that since the weekend. And, of course, the Trump administration's uh, ever-changing response. And we need a theme uh, for this Friday's live stream Q&A on Crowdcast. That goes down at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Friday for patrons and 5 p.m. for the public. If you want to become a patron or sponsor someone who can't be a patron right now, just head to patreon.com slash thedailybeans. Um, we're working on that. Uh, uh, put a button up on our website where you can sponsor a patron. We should have that any day now. I'll keep you posted. We do have a lot of news to get to, so let's kick it off with Hot Notes. Hot Notes. All right, so we all know by now about the Russian bounties paid by the GRU, uh, allegedly, to the Taliban to murder U.S. and, we found out recently, U.K. troops, NATO forces, and the White House's response that Trump and Pence were never briefed. But new reporting is coming to light about, you know, attacks back in April that are now being investigated and and what sort of briefings are going to happen. Still no response from Trump. But joining me to discuss today is former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Fogluzzi. Frank, how are you? I'm keeping busy, but I'm well. Thanks. Well, as one of the top counterintelligence experts available to speak to, I can imagine your dance card is probably full. Yeah, getting questions, but I think, uh, and, I, and I hope we'll go into this. I know we will, but I think some of the questions are actually very narrow and not broad enough. So we'll let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Cause so, I mean, I spoke with Mike McFall yesterday, former ambassador to Russia, wanted me to know one of the first things he brought up was that the person or people giving this information to the New York Times are potentially risking prison time for not taking the traditional whistleblower route. What are they risking? Can you tell us? And, and, and what would cause someone to circumvent that process and go straight to press like this? Yeah, listen, McFall got it right. Um, there is almost no doubt that the information that is being now widely disseminated, that, that Russian intelligence down to the, the actual GRU unit 
on the ground in Afghanistan was paying bounties for the heads of allied troops, you can rest assured that that is classified. And, and, and it could even be higher than secret, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's classified. So what does that mean? It means that the people who came forward, and it looks to me like there are multiple sources referenced both by both the New York Times and Washington Post now. Um, and, and actually, just, just uh, within the last hour, uh, NBC News saying that they have confirmed um, I, that happened while I was just on the air uh, with Nicole Wallace. So you've got likely multiple people talking. They have now exposed themselves to criminal charges um, with related related to the mishandling of classified information up to and including some of the subsets of the actual espionage statute. So your second question, so that's 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 how much they're exposed criminally, not to mention losing their jobs. Um, but but then uh, why? Why would someone expose themselves criminally to do this? Maybe multiple people expose themselves. And you gotta you've gotta understand the climate we're in is that um the usual mechanisms aren't there. The safety nets aren't there. We have a DNI. Um, you know, we've been through a couple of act, uh, acting and now, and now uh, named DNI that, that we have no trust um, are going to do the right thing. We have IGs throughout the government, inspectors general, who have been fired and are now um, there are new folks moving into place that simply seem to be there to do Trump's bidding. So when you when you ask why wouldn't somebody go through the usual processes and bang their fist on the table administratively in their agencies because they can't because it's not going to work and so we have this incredibly dire situation where people are disclosing classified and i have to tell you it was my job as head of the counterintelligence division in the FBI to actually pursue these people to actually say wait a minute we're, you're you're disclosing highly classified information uh, to the bad guys and to the press and to the public. And we would open a case and rest assured, I am certain the White House is demanding that the FBI and other agencies open a leak investigation to determine who has spilled the beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and I spoke about this very thing during the impeachment and how the, this administration went after that whistleblower, along with the Republicans um, on Capitol Hill, went hard after whistleblowers. Then Vindman, of course, was fired. I mean, and we, you and I spoke about how that's going to have a very chilling effect on people being reticent to come forward using the whistleblower statute in the future. And now here we are. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking in terms of an investigator, um, this actually, this fact actually lends veracity to those who are telling this story. By that, I mean, if there's great pain that you're about to face because you're going to tell a story it's far more likely that that story is accurate because you you know making stuff up and getting arrested for it isn't the same as telling the truth and mm -hmm. getting arrested for it your motivations are are entirely different so in my mind um it actually lends veracity to the to this and i i actually think there's something to this and when when we opened and i said look i i'm not sure people are asking the deeper broader uh, questions here what i what i meant was um, and it, it it segues nicely from why someone would expose themselves like this in the dire situation we're in, um, is the broader question of the truth isn't getting up to the White House. And if it is, it appears to be ignored. By that, I mean, I am hearing from my friends and former colleagues still in the community, the intelligence community, 
that that regular steady rhythm of briefings to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, to the White House, the NSC, um, they're not happening on anywhere close to a regular basis, certainly not the rhythm that I was used to as AD. I'd I'd be up on the Hill uh, probably once every couple of weeks on the phone, House or Senate Intelligence Committees, and this, this nonsense about well, we might brief a handful of Republicans or we might brief that that never happened. You always made sure both parties were in the room. And it went like this. You would go, you'd go across the street from FBI headquarters to DOJ and you'd say, look, I think this needs to get briefed. Here's what I'm going to say. Sometimes if it was really complicated, they'd say, hey, come over, let's rehearse it. Let's know what you're going to say. Then it would go to, um, to the White House for clearance. And then I'd get to go to the Hill. I, I, I had sometimes in emergency situations, I'd done that in less than 24 hours. Um, what I'm hearing now is that it comes to a screeching halt at one or more of those places at DOJ or the white house. And you can't, you can't brief the Hill. So, so the question here, here's my, here's my bottom line. While everybody on this Russia bounty issue is saying, we need to know what, um, was briefed and when it was briefed. I say we need to go a step further and start asking what hasn't been briefed and why. Mm. Yeah, agree. And and you know, well, is it any wonder that there that these regular briefings have have halted? I mean, he fired McGuire after briefing uh, the uh, Congress on on Russia. And Nielsen left uh, her post because she wasn't allowed to say the word Russia. It's just it seems like, and of course, we've got this flurry of phone calls starting March thirtieth with. Uh, Putin and Trump, and we don't know anything about what what's in those phone calls, where even if notes were even taken. Um, but and you must be psychic because my very next question is, what's your take on the veracity of of this intelligence? And I think that you put it perfectly um, by saying, you know, when when folks are are facing this much backlash for coming forward, it it lends veracity to their to their. Um, to what they're saying. And, and, you know, I, I have to, I, I a hundred percent know what that's like. We saw it with, uh, for example, uh, when women come forward with the, you know, sexual assault allegations, uh, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And just coming forward on its own sort of lends veracity to that. So I, I totally get that, but you're right. It doesn't let him off the hook for refusing to make a statement about it now. He's got to come out and address this. You, this is all happening in the face of polls that are spiraling downward in terms of his uh, favorability and the job he's doing. He's been warned uh, over the weekend. We saw people like Chris Christie and others come out and say, the guy's in trouble. And this is just another way that he's in trouble. And I, and I, I have to tell you, so, so I, the veracity is there. Look, at least three major news outlets in the last 24 hours are saying this. The, the, some of the allies are coming out and saying that they've been aware of this or they are now becoming aware of it, um, and their troops were at were at risk as well. So he needs to come out in front and say, this is what we knew, when we knew it, why it wasn't entirely brief to me. But I, 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 he's incapable, he's proven himself incapable of doing this, and they just seem to repeat history. We're going to see probably a very limited briefing. We've seen this before, right? The Republican members of Congress come out of a room, they get on Fox, and they say, nothing to see here, go back to your homes. And then, you know, the Democrats, if they're even allowed in the room, will say, my Lord, this was devastating. And we, and we won't, we won't know where, what the truth was. 
Or or the Democrats will get a separate briefing with different information. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, very possible. So the only thing that's going to satisfy me at this point, having been through this uh, with the intelligence community and, and lived and breathed it, is we're, we're going to need the CIA director, the DIA director, because this appears to have been generated by troops on the ground, this intel, um, and the NSA director uh, sitting down at a table. And I'd love to see at least part of it um, open source, open hearing. And then of course, it's going to have to go closed door with, uh, classified details, but much of this is all out in the open now and can be talked about, um, minus sources and methods. And we're going to need to do that. We owe that to the families of service members. We owe that to the service members. We owe that to the 600 cadets who graduated from West Point and got a salute from president Trump a couple of weeks ago. Um, we, we got to get to the bottom of this and, and then not to sound too cloak and dagger, but where I come from in the counterintelligence world, we're also looking for the why behind what we're seeing and, and what it else, what else it could be. We have to always assume it could be something else. And here's what I mean by that. The Russians are masters at propaganda and disinformation. And so it would not be the first time that the Russian intelligence services have planted information for the purpose of sowing chaos and confusion. And um, we need only look back to the uh, to Jim Comey, who in his book uh, talked about how he was thrown for a loop um, while he was trying to figure out, do I call that press conference about Hillary Clinton and the email server? Do I let DOJ take it? You know, and, and he says there was a piece of information that caused me to say, I don't know if I could trust the uh, attorney general at the time. That has since been proven to have been a Russian um, uh, planted piece of disinformation. And yeah, it involved Deborah Schultz Wasserman, um, who had been a senior member of the Democratic Party and congresswoman from Florida. Um, and, it, and a fabricated conversation in an email between her and others that ended up at the attorney general's server looked like they were talking about, you know, hiding things. And so that was Russian disinformation. So where, where am I going with this? Well, in, in the world I come from, you can't rule out the possibility that Putin's just sitting back and laughing right now because maybe he wanted folks to think that he's paying money for the heads of U.S. soldiers. It's a mess, and we've got the wrong person at the helm um, to deal with it. Yeah, and I think that somebody maybe wisely advised Trump to tweet that he said he was not briefed because the intelligence wasn't credible uh, on this. That was a tweet that he put out. Um, but all of this can be investigated and, and, and proven and borne out. Uh, if if it wasn't in the PDBs, somebody can look at the PDBs. We don't have to make them public and see if it was in there or not. You know, I mean, there, there can be people who will testify either behind closed doors because it's classified information or in a public forum to say, I physically briefed him with my mouth. Uh, he was tweeting at the time, so maybe he didn't hear me. Like we, the, but the, but the, I think the whole point here is that it needs to be investigated. We need to get to the bottom of it to find out. Um, I mean, there's just so many people corroborating this intelligence now. But yeah, it could it could all be a piece of Russian uh, disinformation um, that you know that, but that could also be found out, right? If 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 in fact this was not credible information and 
uh, somebody in the intelligence community or a group of people decided not to brief the president on it because it <clears throat> because it wasn't credible, excuse me, they would be able to testify to that. Yeah, this is really important because um, either way, we need to figure out why and, and who made those decisions because I am so now distrustful of the, the intelligence flow process at the White House and their discounting of it. <clears throat> and and because I have so many pieces <clears throat> of information indicating that intelligence briefers are are wary of anything that's going to upset the president, particularly when it pertains to Russia, we need to ask that extra question. Okay, you thought it was uh, not credible, so you didn't brief it up. I get that. So now, because we don't trust the process, please tell us what you did to determine the veracity of this information. How do you vet it? There's normal ways you vet information. What did you do? Did you just shut it down? Did you say, oh, we don't have enough sources on this. We're not going to brief it up. Or did you actually wash it out, which takes a lot of work? And and it may well mean that there's that we're talking about interrogations by U.S. U.S. troops may have interrogated people on the ground. Where would you get this money from? Um, and we got to get to that. There's got to be hearings on this. And I, my concern is that, you know, everybody, there are many members of Congress who seem to be saying, Hey, listen, we're just a few months away from an election. Let's let's just, you know, let's all vote with our feet, blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, um, there's enough time here to really do damage to this country and really get some people hurt. And this is one of those examples where it's time to get uh, get deeply involved and demand some action on the Hill. Yeah, it definitely needs to be. Uh, we need to get to the bottom of it. And I and I do appreciate uh, you know, the idea of having somebody testify that, that we found that the, the information was not credible and then to prove it uh, or, you know, at least not prove it, but, you know, go through your process that, you know, the process that, you, you know, led you to that determination for sure. Because, I mean, here we've got, you know, Rick Grinnell, who had one of the most important jobs in intelligence without having any experience when these briefings apparently occurred in March. And he tweeted today that he has nothing to do with this because he's not the DNI anymore, but he was in March. And of course, He's also the ambassador to Germany, and we had we had the troop withdrawal there. So there's just so many moving pieces to this, and and I'm starting to understand why uh, some of the Democrats were like, let's just focus on the Ukraine uh, phone call, the one thing. And because I mean, when you start to get into this kind of complex intelligence, there's just so many moving parts. I got to tell you, I long for the days when, when none of this, none of I, I wouldn't even be on this podcast. You might not even have a podcast because you know what? We'd be going about our business, and we'd, you know, and our weekends would be to ourselves, and we wouldn't be having to catch up on news um, in this current news cycle. And 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 more importantly, we would be able to trust whatever came out of the uh, intelligence and uh, community and the White House. If the White House had come out, you know, in a normal administration, if the White House and the DNI had come out and said, hey, there's trust us, there's really nothing to this, we would have all went, eh, okay, mm. sounds good to me. But but here we are, mm. and it's, it, is, it is just the continued damage and erosion of all of our institutions. Yeah, because you're right. If if uh, any previous president had said, we vetted the intelligence, it wasn't credible. This was a Russian hit job, and uh, they, you know, and it was designed to, to do this. We would have been like, ah, okay. But now we actually need to, you know, look look a little deeper uh, for the reasons, and um, hopefully. Um, now with the Democrats in the House reviewing the in inherent contempt rules, maybe we'll get some. Maybe we'll get some movement. I don't know. I haven't. I I don't feel very. 
uh, inspired um, by uh, some of the House Democrats at this moment. But uh, I really, really hope uh, that, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of Republicans speak out, um, at least maybe not forcefully, but minimally. Maybe that will help turn the tide. Well, hey, when Lindsey Graham is so incensed that he has to put on his golf outfit and golf with the president, <laughs> you know it's bad. They went golfing about it. They did. <laughs> right. That's serious business. Uh, good point. Good point. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Figlizzi. I appreciate you answering our questions today. Will you will you come back on uh, and, and keep help keep us informed as, as this story unfolds? Anytime you'll have me. All right. Thanks very much. Everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick break with the Good News Block, so stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I really recommend checking out BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is actual professional counseling done securely online. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. Uh, everyone can use some help during, especially right now. I mean, everything is just so bananas. Uh, I've sought help for my PTSD. I'm a huge believer in seeking help when you need it. And BetterHelp's services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which you might not be able to find locally in your area. Uh, you can just log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely, thoughtful responses. And if you want, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. And that I love so much. Um, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want to. Uh, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, uh, and financial aid is available. It's just so much easier to navigate than the private health care system. So visit their website and read testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user WI, who says, quote, Though I've only just started recently, I feel that Heather is being a tremendous help. She's already helped me understand what good and bad coping methods are and seems to genu be genuinely interested in helping me through my problems. Though I was skeptical about this online counseling originally, I now fully believe in it. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for news from under the radar with Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello. I'm doing fantastic, Lee. Yes, fantastically. Oh, nice adverbage. Fantastically? Mm -hmm. Who mm -hmm. knows? Is that a word? That is correct. Yes. Fantastically. It, it should be. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um... But yeah, adverbs have been going the way of the dodo, so I appreciate your utilization. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in the age of legit, we have to be warriors <laughs> against our own demise. <laughs> Linguistically. <laughs> words, words to live by. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, I wish that could be the title. It's just too long. In the age of legit. Brevity was never one of my strong suits, AG. I've never been the I've never been the best at word economy either. I've been I've been good at explaining things that are wordy and like shrinking them down, but it's it's hard. Uh when it comes to your own thoughts, I found. Mm, yes it is. All right, so let's kick this off. Um I have a quick headline here. A sixty minutes investigation has found that federal officials knew that many COVID-19 antibody test testing kits had flaws, but allowed them to enter the U.S. market. Back in March, 
everything seems to happen in March. Mm -hmm. uh, the Food and Drug Administration took that. Wasn't that the longest month of our lives? March was that March? It was March. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Mid middle of March is when the shutdown started, right? Yeah, and this is when this Russian intel briefing happened, and now this is apparently mm -hmm. when this happened. The Food and Drug Administration took the unprecedented step of allowing COVID antibody tests to flood the market without review, FDA review. The tests were billed as critical a critical tool to assess whether the virus had spread and who might have had it and who might have immunity. But in the government's rush to get more people tested quickly, it missed. It may have missed the mark. According to 60 Minutes, over the course of a three-month investigation, they learned that uh, federal officials knew many of the antibody tests were seriously flawed but continued to allow them to be sold anyway. Now, as coronavirus surges in parts of the country, that government failure is complicating efforts to know the reach of coronavirus. So we failed at testing in ways that we didn't even realize that we failed at mm -hmm. testing. I urge you all to check out that interview on 60 Minutes about these tests. Um, some other coronavirus headlines real quick. Jacksonville, the largest city in Florida and the city set to host the Republican National Convention in August, has announced that masks will be mandatory in public and in indoor locations. Oh! Um, so, yeah. Uh, people will have to wear masks to the big giant hate picnic that's going to happen. Um, a Republican National Convention. I don't even know what they're convening about. Uh, they're not changing their platform from 2016. Do you remember the the sort of manufactured platform by Manafort, Dearborn, and Mashburn? Remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. And uh, ahead of the 4th of July holiday, the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute said people in coronavirus hotspots may need to rethink large gatherings. Really? May need? How about don't do it? Um, yep. God. <laughs> Uh, Gilead Sciences, the maker of remdesivir, with the, the first COVID-19 treatment found to have worked in clinical trials, said it will charge U.S. hospitals $3,120 for the typical patient with private insurance, despite the medicine being around forever. And uh, wow. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, yeah, just another reason we need fucking health care reform. And... Um, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, and Senate Majority, sorry, Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer called on Senate Majority Leader um, Turtle Dick Mitch to immediately start negotiations on a new coronavirus relief bill. They also called for this before the Senate went on hiatus, but they're calling for it again. And uh, the World Health Organization is planning to send a team to China next week to try to understand the origins of the coronavirus. And uh, the shutdown of Broadway's 41 theaters will continue. It has been extended to at least January 3rd of 2021. I feel like we're in an Austin Powers movie and have stepped through a time machine and are back where we were at like three months ago. We all of the progress are. that we made, yeah, is, is obviously not all of the progress, but in some places it pretty much is like all of the progress in terms of where their ICU capacity was at versus where it's at now. It's so... Mm -hmm. It's so it pisses me off so much that this is our reality. And then there's other countries that have been handling it like you should be handling it and are sitting with zero cases and are able to go back mm -hmm. to in-person schooling, for example, and people aren't dying. It's it really bums me out. Yeah, it's it's we have the worst leadership for this crisis and and we're actually worse off than we were at our huge peak uh, that was driven mostly by New York. But now that we have New York-style outbreaks in nine states, um, we're seeing f over 40,000 new cases a day. We're at the at the peak before. We were, like, just over 20,000. 20,000 mm -hmm. was bad. Um, so it's, it's, again, you and I talked about this on several occasions. It's exponential, and it's going to keep 
you know, day upon day, we're going to see more and more. And it is because of the politicization of science, I guess. It's it's a bummer. Yeah. I don't know what to do about the reopening stuff, too, because nothing is compatible with each other right now in California. There's so much mixed messaging going on in terms of reopening and, like, continuing to reopen versus shutting down again. Like, I work at a comedy club, and I just got a message right before we started recording that was like, all right, we're doing shows this weekend, we got the go-ahead, and they're taking Mm. directives from their parent club, which is in LA, and LA is not good either. LA, I think, as a county, is definitely worse than San Diego right now. So that's that's like, what what am I and my coworkers supposed to do? In that scenario, you know. Yeah, and if and if I know they're considered a quote unquote restaurant, but if L, L, if L A is shutting down bars, I mean, a comedy club is more packed and a worse uh, scenario for spreading coronavirus than a bar. I mean, it is a bar. There's just yeah. Food. I mean, I know, I know. I've seen pictures. First off, I have to give a shout out to them, the comedy store. They've been so good to us as employees, and like so safe they're the last club in san diego to even remotely like think about doing in-person entertainment so i in no way i'm trying to put them on blast but uh because i think they've just been handling it incredibly they've been so fair with the like paying us to the employees throughout all of this time and they've been incredibly generous they've organized fundraisers and in they they've just been the complete best but Given this now, you know, I was looking at their setup and it's super socially distanced. I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, the Hollywood store, but they had tables set up like in the parking lot that that were entirely spaced out, just playing comedy specials for people to hear so that they could just be around comedy and be in this sort of legendary space. But I do it is it's just very hard right now because all the other clubs in town are open, and I'm and I'm talking about comedy, which is annoyingly specific to my life. So my apologies for making it about me. <laughs> I don't do that. I only make a living talking to a microphone with my voice only. But I <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> but but it is sort of a microcosm, I think, for a lot of spaces uh, that that you know in, just inherently involve public attendance and every step of the way there's a sore moral conundrum like do I go to those places if they're being opened do I work at those places if they're being opened do I feel safe at those places if I if I do decide to go it's it's just it's complete it's back to mayhem again it feels mm-hmm. yeah I mean I had a show on uh, July 9th that I agreed to when we had been out of the you know, out of the scary part, out of flatten the curve, and we were having no no real new cases now that they're on the rise again. I've I've pulled out of that, and you know, I'm I'm me personally, I'm I'm just going to be doing what I have been doing, but I am fortunate mm-hmm. enough to be able to continue to do that. Um, and I think that a lot of these businesses are really doing their best to to continue to make money and pay their employees and pay benefits and stay open, but also not spread the coronavirus. And and I know Comedy Store is doing a really good job with that. So hats off to them. They are. Yeah, I really can't say enough good things about how they've treated this whole situation. Totally. They're, they're just now in the same place that all other clubs are at, which are starting to get this go ahead to begin integrating entertainment into their spaces again and just try to navigate what that looks like it's fucking hard for everybody but yeah they're i can't say enough good things about them when you feel safe support them <laughs> or yeah, support exactly. them i don't know you could uh, i don't know there's probably some money you could send or some something i don't know who knows <laughs> but yes it's 
a wild time that we find ourselves back in yet again. Um, all right. Are you all set with COVID stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're on. Okay. You're on deck. All right. Coming up to the stage, I've got depressing police brutality news, everybody. Give a warm welcome to depression. Uh, Detroit had another instance of police brutality happen. There's been a repeated number of occurrences where police are just driving their cop cars into crowds of protesters, and that happened in Detroit. It was a peaceful protest. Um, nobody reportedly had done anything to provoke that. I don't know what you possibly could do to provoke a car driving through a group of protesters, but it happened Sunday night, and it was an SUV that just plowed through a group of people, and there were 10 to 12 others that were struck by the car, according to eyewitnesses that were there and uh, hit by the car people were on top of the hood of the car and when the car had started moving they just were flying off of the hood of the car just a really scary scene everyone's obviously shrieking and yelling and it's it's i can't imagine the terror of what what that's like because things escalate so quickly now that's what's been confirmed over and over again so detroit had a really scary night with that yeah, and, and the bummer for me is like when I see people on my Facebook page or like even people I know, they're like, if that happened to me, if I were in a car and people surrounded it, I would gun it. And and here's the thing. You don't have to do that. Um, you're First of all, especially if you're in a police car, it's, it's an armored vehicle. It's bulletproof. You're fine. Go two miles an hour so that nobody is surprised and run over and just go until they don't until they stop following you they're not gonna fucking follow you forever you know like there's a safe way to get out of it and if you don't have the wherewithal to know that and be chill um then you shouldn't be a police officer because it seems to me like you're a little overreacty uh and uh, right so anyway best case yeah best case scenario you're overreacty worst case scenario you're a violent malignant racist well, if you're already a violent, malignant racist, it sucks being overreacting because you end up murdering people. Yes, exactly. And I think that the no chill remark is very true. And that is a very stonery way to refer to the problem that I uh, wholeheartedly think embodies it because it's humans have thresholds for every individual person has a threshold for when they just kind of snap right cops should have a much 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 higher threshold but time and time again it seems mm. like they have a lower and lower threshold for that and there's so many different explanations for why that could be the case but when you see an image of a cop plowing their car through a group of peaceful protesters that person has reached their threshold and i'm gonna tell you what the threshold was not high enough and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a low threshold. I have a very low threshold. I would be a terrible police officer. I would make uh, split decisions that would probably be bad. And, you know, not because I'm motivated by any sort of fucking assholery like these white power white supremacists can be. But, you know, you yeah. just I'm not good at split second decisions and working under pressure. And you have to be so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. For Absolutely. That update. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have one here from Politico. Uh, you're going to like this. Ted Lieu, who I love. Um, and he put out a, 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 a did you see his uh, political ad, his, his campaign ad, where it's just him drinking a glass of water with one hand? <laughs> oh, my gosh. L like, appropriately? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the best. He's 
such with a human, fucking with human fingers and <laughs> dexterity. He's mm-hmm. such a he's just such a ham. I love him. Uh, but him and five other members of the House Judiciary Committee are unveiling a rule change Monday to formalize and expand Congress's power of inherent contempt. That's the authority to unilaterally punish anyone who defies a subpoena for testimony or documents, which has happened at every turn with this administration. Uh, though Congress has long had inherent contempt power, it has been in disuse for about 100 years. Uh, this power, upheld by courts, has included the ability to levy fines and jail witnesses who refuse to cooperate with congressional demands. But these extreme measures have fallen out of favor over the years. Now we go to court over it. Uh, but you have to be allowed to do that by the attorney general. But what do you do if you have a corrupt fucking attorney general? So Congress has relied instead, uh, you know, in these past decades when we had a reasonable attorney general on litigation to enforce its subpoenas. Uh, and officials across government have acknowledged the unappetizing prospect of using force to impose its will. It's even trickier when applied to a co-equal branch of government, which may have its own privileges and protections. Uh, but calls for reviving inherent contempt have grown. Uh, we probably had something to do with that. <clears throat> That's since the House reclaimed the House majority last year. And lawmakers on the Judiciary Committee in particular have you know, been really mad about Trump administration witnesses defying their subpoenas. Um, going all the way back to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation of, you know, Russia and obstruction of justice. And uh, Lou's proposal only focuses on monetary penalties, though. This isn't where we always wanted the sergeant in arms to go collect someone and put him in the jail cell underneath the thing. This is just monetary penalties. Basically, it would establish a process for negotiations between Congress and the executive branch when a dispute arises over testimony or documents. Uh, The measure would then allow federal agencies to lodge objections to the congressional request and would permit the president to weigh in and assert any applicable privileges. Applicable is the key word. Um, And the measure would also establish a process for holding recalcitrant officials in contempt, including hearings before a full house in which the subject would be permitted to present a defense and would face questions from lawmakers on the House floor. And if the House supports contempt after such a hearing, it would then vote a second time to impose a penalty of up to $25,000. The penalty would be delayed for 20 days to allow for continued negotiations before subsequent penalties can be imposed. Uh, up to an aggregate of $100,000. The measure would also bar taxpayer dollars from being used to cover any fines assessed through this mechanism. So, you know, like when uh, DeVos had to pay a a Mm $100,000 fine for her bullshit, she got to use taxpayer money to do it. But that wasn't a subpoena situation. But either way, it's a a good... God, I have zero... (laughs) That is a great law rule. I have policy. I have (laughs) all the above. I have... um... Zero faith in the federal government, unfortunately, to actually track that shit to a point where they're staying on top of it. I hope that I hope to God they can do it. Yeah, maybe they just put a little subcommittee and that's all they do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just follow the money. Dude, we need a hundred follow the money committees. Those, (laughs) Those should be all of the committees should hereby be known as follow the money committees. Totally. Um. But uh, you have one more story? I do, yeah. Uh, also, court, criminal justice stuff. So, okay, so an intense headline, trigger warning. Uh, this is about the Golden State Killer who committed incredibly heinous acts of, of murder and rape. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit in this headline update. But he is starting to plead guilty in court. On Monday, uh, he was just read a long list of charges and started pleading guilty to them this was none of this was a surprise in terms of when it occurred on the courtroom floor but it's it's a big moment 
for people who are related to the victims because for so long this man went uncaught and he admitted um, to 13 murders and 13 charges of kidnapping for purpose of robbery and also 62 other crimes of rape and abduction which the statute of limitations are already expired on but he was active as a murderer and rapist and criminal from 73 to 86 and it included 106 victims all among children men and women alike 50 women were raped 13 people were killed it's just horrifying but he's there and pleading guilty now Hmm. 62 raped 100 and something victims yeah former police officer yep 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 wow yeah it's disgusting absolutely disgusting well he's pleading guilty hopefully he'll face justice uh well he will face justice hopefully he'll get justice um and then uh finally have you seen i'm gonna look this up because i've been keeping my eye on this shiz all day kentucky senate primary results uh because the last time i looked it was really close um Oh, nope, that's from a few days ago when Amy McGrath was ahead. Uh, here are the live results. Sorry about this. Um, updated at 624 Eastern, which is right now. Okay, Amy McGrath has pulled Amy McGrath has pulled ahead. Charles Booker was up by 20 votes. And now it looks like Amy McGrath is ahead by uh, 39.40, like about about 1,324 votes. So she's pulled ahead there. It is very... And those are all the mail-in and provisional ballots? Uh, it doesn't say yet. 17% of the expected vote counted. Uh-huh. Um, seven, oh, wait. Updated 17... Point nine percent live results. This has to be live, but it says seventeen percent of the precincts are reporting, and that seems old, doesn't it? I feel like we have more than that. Yeah, unless it's that percentage of those precincts early mail in, um, mail in or provisional ballots. Yeah, but either way, it is neck and neck. Um. Yeah, when did we um when we last reported on this, I think it was June thirtieth that they were saying they expected to have their answers by like at the earliest, right? Mm. Here we go. Yeah. They uh, not until the thirtieth is what they said. Mm-hmm. But nope, yep, it looks like this is current. Um, because the the one where she was ahead by twenty votes, she had thirty nine thousand six forty nine and now mm-hmm. it's updated right as I watched it. She has 47,488, and he has, Booker has 44,711. So she is now Damn. up about two points, uh, one, and one point uh, something points. And so it is uh, neck and neck. We'll know more, obviously, tomorrow, maybe. Um, I don't know when they're going to call this. Um, but it is very close, but there's still a lot of votes to be counted. And so I just wanted to kind of take a minute to say anyone telling you that your vote doesn't count is just trying to get you not to vote it counts Mm -hmm. 
uh, and you can go to IWillVote.com and check to see if you're registered. And if you're not, you can register there. Uh, and if you are and you want to change something, you can change it there. It's IWillVote.com. Uh, I went there. It took me 30 seconds or less to confirm that I am registered. They have my correct address and mm-hmm. correct parties. And so. your your polling locations are on there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, my polling location's been the same for a while. And I just, you know, it's good to double check. So do that now. Go to IWillVote.com. Make sure. Uh, All right. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned. After this break, I'll be discussing the Supreme Court decisions with con law expert Harry Littman. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for The Daily Beans. Uh, Due to the global pandemic of COVID-19 virus, the job market has been uncertain for the past couple of months, as I'm sure you know. And we don't really know what the future will hold, especially with the numbers that are happening right now. We're in uncharted waters. And as a small business ourselves, we understand what employees and employers are going through right now. Employees are worried about their jobs still being there or having to find a new one. Uh, And employers are concerned about their businesses surviving and hoping that both customers and employees return. Uh, In the effort to dissuade fears and provide some assistance and comfort in these crazy times, we would like to relay the following message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter, who says, Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to inspire and to innovate and to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different, so we're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I am joined now by the host of the Talking Feds pod, L.A. Times legal affairs columnist for the op-ed there and former deputy assistant attorney general, Harry Littman. Harry, how are you today? Not bad. How are you, A.G.? Good. So uh, a little birdie has told me that you might know some stuff about the Supreme Court having clerked for two justices mm-hmm. uh, and being, you know, teaching uh, con law, and et cetera, the, the, you know, specializing in, in the Supreme Court. We had three decisions come down today. One of them uh, is a First Amendment decision about uh, whether or not non-government organizations in uh, foreign countries are allowed to or have to say that prostitution is bad in order to get funding to fight the AIDS epidemic. The second one is the uh, abortion case from Louisiana, uh, which is, I think, the big one today. And uh, there was a third one. Which What was the third one? Remind me. Uh, Seal of Law, which might turn out over time to really be the big one from today, though certainly you're right that the Louisiana case was the most closely watched. And in the first one, the court just said no First Amendment rights to those guys, so they can't interpose any objection. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Celia case, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so super interesting, a little bit nerdy, but you're always indulgent of nerds. <laughs> um, this this involved the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and you may remember, may remember Rich Cordray was a thorn in the side of Trump uh, during Trump's early years, he he came into office when Warren, Elizabeth Warren, didn't make it through. But the CFPB was created under a structure that required Trump to uh, fire uh, the director only by cause. So, And that's a pretty big uh, limitation. Surely he would have just jettisoned him right away if he could have. Instead, he had to show some kind of malfeasance on Cordray's part. And the suit here from from just from somebody who didn't like a decision they got from the CFPB was that that structure 
violates the Constitution because it puts too much power in Congress to um, sort of fetter the president's hands this way. The president has to be able to just fire at will, and at least the argument ran, for a important, powerful agencies like this that has a single director. It's really a tricky issue because there's a pretty long history of so-called independent agencies that have four-cause provisions, but at least what Brett Kavanaugh had said in the D.C. Circuit and the exact same thing that Chief Justice Roberts said today for five members of the Supreme Court was that when you have a single director which ha- who has a certain amount of power and you combine that with the inability of the president to fire that director except for cause, that's just too much of a um, hamstring of the president's removal power. It violates the separation of powers. What happens to all these cases that have approved it? We don't know because it's a really kind of sort of ipsa dixit. Uh, that's fancy law talk for you know just just because we say so. Uh, opinion where it's just oh this seems a little bit too much of an encroachment. We're not overruling all the other ones. Alito, excuse me, um, Thomas and Gorsuch said they would have all the lines that have ever. Uh, allowed independent agencies, and they're a mess of them, you know, with FCC, and there's a whole laundry list. They'd have got, they'd have said the Constitution is violated by. Robert says, no, uh, we're not changing any of the previous laws, but here we're going to say they took a step too far. What does that mean for the next case? What's a step too far, and how do you define the path? Really, very little guidance from the court, and basically, Kagan in dissent. Uh, tears them apart, saying, "You know, this has always been allowed, and you're re- you're you're making, you know, no no distinction at all here that anybody can rely on." Mm. Yeah, and I, I I tend to agree with her uh, as usual, uh, but basically, man, bottom- she's really she's such a great writer. She's you know, it's not just she's really clear in everything, but she actually. Her, her, her dissents can really sing, I got to say. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, it's what the court has found here is the president can fire the director of the CFPB at will without cause. But uh, one of the other parts of the lawsuit is they wanted to get rid of the entire bureau altogether. Uh, but that uh, is not they're not gutting the entire uh, CFPB. And what this allows is, uh, you know, oddly, like you said, this could end up being consequential because Biden's elected in November. That means he can fire President Trump's director of the CFPB without cause. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be more than that. That person is just going to now resign the same as any cabinet officer would. But you're right. They're, they're, the uh, the second issue was about severability. And what the challengers were saying is this part that we're challenging is so important to the law that Congress, if it couldn't have its way here, wouldn't want the whole law. And everyone on the court said, no, that's not right. Congress would, would want the rest of the law to still be able to stand. But I just wanted this. This all feeds into all the unitary executive arguments, et cetera. In future, like con law students are going to study this um, uh, opinion because it really gets to basic power issues between the president and the Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, 
uh, I'd like to talk to you about the Louisiana abortion case. So basically, Louisiana had a law in place that would limit access to abortions. Supreme Court has uh, said no, overturned that law today, says that uh, you can't do that. Um, and they relied on precedent. And and a lot of people are saying the vote was 5-4, but technically the vote was 4-1-4 four, four, uh, under a doctrine called stare decisis. Uh, Roberts cited, well, he concurred with the judgment of the liberal side of, of the of the SCOTUS, but not the opinion, and he couldn't because of past precedent. There was a similar case out of Texas. And even though he probably disagrees with this ruling, he couldn't uh, rule against it because of precedent. That's going to upset a lot of, uh, a lot of people, uh, but um, not me. And talk to me a little bit about this, this 414. It's a W. I'll take the W. But it's, it's this whole stare decisis thing. Uh, is, it seems to be confusing a lot of people, including myself. Okay. Well, stare decisis just means, you know, it's precedent and we ruled it before. And so we need some really good reason for overturning it. There was a case just a couple years ago out of Texas. It wasn't similar. It was identical. The statute was the exact same thing, which made Louisiana's action in enacting this, since the court had struck down the Texas one, really cheeky. But it, it went up there and you're right. It was 414 and sounds a little rough sledding, but it's, it's pretty easy. Four members of the court, the the liberal four, said this violates, you know, abortion jurisprudence. And then um, Robert said, "I'm not going to go that far, but I'm going to I'm I'm not going to make a basic uh, statement about Roe and et cetera. But I do agree that since we already decided this case a few years ago, we can't um, unless we overrule it. We can't go differently. So when it when it works out like that, you want to. There's no opinion of the court and the judgment is based on the narrowest ground and that's roberts so so the four is a, are, are just they're a opinion but not for the court and and roberts um concurrence uh forms the basis for the decision which is we're not going to strike down um precedent and by the way it's so on all fours that you know the dissenters um, that four of them would would be so so quick to be able to um, to go the other way made it seem like they're not so um, attentive to precedent. Although, if you really read carefully, I think you find not only did you know did did we did the um, pro-choice forces dodge a bullet, but at least um, the dissenters were basically saying. Indicating they weren't looking to overrule Roe v. Wade, Casey, etc., but they were arguing that that Texas case had strayed from Roe v. Wade and Casey. So that well, that was a, a yeah. Go ahead. Here's an interesting question for you. Sorry to interrupt you, but if this was an identical case, why agree to hear it on the merits? Now, hear me out. First of all, I think it takes four votes, right, from justices to hear a case. Is that correct? Four. It is. Okay. So now. We could have had the four conservatives say, we want to hear this, give it another chance. But couldn't we also, and this is all speculation, sorry, but couldn't we also have had the four liberals say, yeah, let's hear this one if we're going to hear any abortion cases, because we've already done an identical one, and we know that uh, Roberts, at least, is l less likely to uh, 
to side on an opinion when precedent was set with an identical case a couple years ago in Texas. I'm just wondering which four voted to hear this case if it was identical. Man, you're good, A.G. Um, the, uh, but the answer is the conservative four, because from the, from the uh, standpoint of the liberal four, there's nothing good that, that can come out of this. All they would do is take the law where it already was. And uh, so it, it would have had to be people who were looking to advance it. And, you know, well, you we think have you'd the pick new a different center. Case. Why wouldn't you? If you were trying to advance it, you'd pick a different friggin case. I don't know. Maybe I'm too smart for Kavanaugh. Well, no, no, no. I mean, maybe not, because one thing is you're, you're right. And a different here. Here's one reason why it could have been the, the libs. It was they reversed the decision. That is to say that the court uh, below the Fifth Circuit had very disingenuously held that there was a, a distinction between them. So maybe in, in fact, that that's um, I think I did speak speak too soon, because certainly the four could have been saying we just don't like this one on the books in the Fifth Circuit. Mm. So let's yeah. let's try to get rid of it because it's so it's so strong. Worth but a, they worth were really study. rolling the dice. People were holding their breath, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth the study. We're worth looking into and discussing. Um, and now I want to talk to you about the decision that did not come today, that people have okay. been waiting, the final one that everybody's waiting for. I mean, I know there's 10 more cases. Uh, and that's the tax case um, that, you know, was sort of globbed up into one, which includes the, the Mazars Vance, Cy Vance Manhattan DA case, the Oversight Mazars case, and then I think the Intelligence Committee and one other committee uh, were looking for Capital One and Deutsche Bank. And when we were li- when I was listening to oral arguments, I, I know you listened to it really seemed like Roberts was looking for a middle ground, some way to parse this out. So it was still not full executive power, but still we had a check and balance in Congress. And I was thinking that maybe he would find they would somehow split the decision and say, Cy uh, Vance, you can have Mazar's uh, oversight. You can have Mazar's. You have a legislative purpose there. Uh, but. Uh, oversight, or, or but intelligence and Deutsche Bank, we don't see it. And I thought that that may be the middle ground. Uh, but couldn't there also be one of these 414 situations where, uh, and hear me out here, where, you know, Roberts waits to see what the other eight do. And if it's a 4-4, then he can do this, you know, starry decisive thing where it's not precedent setting, but, uh, and it's the very thinnest line of a W that you can possibly get. And that's his middle ground. Or, you know, or maybe something like this happened in in the Title VII LGBTQ plus case, for example, where Roberts waited to see what happened, found out that Gorsuch was siding with the liberals and said he has no reason to to, you know, uh, concur instead of, you know, with the judgment instead of the opinion. And that's what made it 6-3. I'm wondering if if we could see something like this as Roberts middle ground. In, in the tax cases where he where he waits to see what the other eight justices do and then makes his decision. Wow, super interesting. Let me just, a, a couple uh, sort of procedural or terminological points. So the stare decisis principle is the one about precedent and just saying, I'll vote this way. It doesn't matter if it's an 8-0, you know, 9-0 decision or a 5-4. I'm respecting precedent. The 4-1-4 
uh, principle, the idea that without five members of the court, you don't have a precedent setting opinions a little bit um, different. So, yeah, you could always have a sort of four, one, four. I don't think it would be based. I mean, there's an important precedent here. It's it's U.S. v. Nixon. But um, uh, it's it doesn't, you know, right, cover right. the waterfront the way the old one did. But then Roberts is free to go on the books. You know, if if one of the conservative sides with the liberals in the tax case and, and, and he doesn't have to worry about the middle ground at that point, it's like, well, it's, it's off my back. Yeah. So there and there is a built in, you know, split the baby result here that a lot of people are expecting, which is you grant the, the local district attorney the ability to uh, both of these, by the way, they're, they're not going after Trump. They're going after third parties, accountants mm-hmm. and banks. You say that the D.A. can can do it. You reject this, you know, crazy idea of temporary absolute immunity, which is what they they argued, but you rule against for Congress. And this goes back to your point about the middle ground. At oral argument, the um, attorney for Congress, a really well-respected guy, was seen as getting beat up and not doing a good job because he refused to provide them a a limiting principle. What he said is, you know, as long as Congress says we're legislating, that's good enough now it put the it puts the court in a in a box though because they're going to have to if they want to uh give some kind of down the middle answer they're going to have to kind of make it up they're going to have to say well we think congress needs to have you know and now look in the thesaurus a substantial need but you know there may be judges who feel like we can't make that up out of nowhere so that the house has really rolled the dice but I think you're right that people see the real possibility of a split um, result where – and that wouldn't be so great for Trump in, in, in either – even if they hold that that um, Congress has to make another showing, they'll just remand it. Same thing that they would remand for Vance. I don't think you'll see an opinion that says you know, Trump never has to produce this information, but you may see a, a remand asking for more development under a new legal standard. Right. Like salt, fi- like figure it out, Congress, come up with your argument. And then because. I, well, I, no, no, no. First figured or figured out court, uh, because was there a substantial need? You know, you decide that court, whether Congress had a substantial need and which is our new standard. Right. But they would have to pr- produce that. Um, and, and when you combine these cases, which they did like this, you can do that. You can split these decisions. You can split, you might get two votes, three votes out of it. I mean, uh, I, I, I know that our options, I mean, I think you and I are both in agreement that Vance will get his, uh, and that'll go against, uh, Trump's interests. I know it's against Mazars, but it, you know, it'll go against Trump's interest. Um, but with the other two houses, um, uh, you think it'll be a blanket for both of those uh, all of those committees uh, and not maybe my, yeah, one my or best the other. guess is there won't. Well, first of all, can they do it? Yeah, it's just three completely separate cases, which they consolidated for purposes of argument because they have such similar uh, issues. But you would think the two congressional ones would go the same way. It's it's hard to see a distinction based on, oh, there's a finance committee versus the intelligence um, committee. But can they do it? Sure. They, you know, it's it's really just just by now three totally uh, separate cases. And I think there's a real drama in the Congress one because the question is, 
you know, Roberts and others, where they were clear at our argument, they wanted to give uh, make Congress do a, a some kind of showing before uh, they could get the uh, presidential uh, papers. But they've never really said it before. They've always said before, if, you know, if Congress says it has a legislative purpose, we're not going to second guess it. So it's they, they'll have to um, really uh, break new ground, which well, they're not scared to do. But, but you know, but they it on rarely them. do. Yeah. And that's kind of why I was thinking that oversight had a better chance uh, than than the finance and intel committees, because. Oversight was looking specifically at the at the payoff, the Stormy Daniel Cohen friggin, uh, you know, uh, stuff, and they needed the Mazar stuff. Is that am I right or am I thinking Vance? Because well, I know no, that's no, what no, Vance no, wanted no, no, to. No, 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 you're right. But even their their so called oversight power is um, adjunct to their power to legislate. That's the reason they get to investigate and even oversee. So, in the say, really, what they need to show is, you know, there's some kind of legislation they're thinking about. Of course, as Ginsburg said at oral argument, first you gather facts, then you decide what 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 you want to um, legislate. And in the past, they've never really told uh, Congress, we don't believe you when you say you're, um, you have a legislative purpose. And that's what they're going to basically be looking to do if they hold for well, not for Trump. Trump is out of it. He's yeah. a lot, but the, but for the United States position, which is that Congress, um, you know, can't just can't just do it because it says so, but has to come forward with some, you know, showing like it couldn't get the information elsewhere, or it's yeah. really important to the legislation, something like that. Well, and that's why I think the actual airtight legislative purpose lies in the House Ways and Means Committee case, where they were trying to get Trump's taxes to review the. Uh, you know, the appropriateness or the the effectiveness of the presidential tax uh, audit program. Uh, I But that's stuck in the lower courts. That's just sitting there gathering dust for whatever yeah, reason. It'll, it'll, yeah, it's so funny. I mean, so all this stuff will work its way slowly through the courts, but maybe, not, maybe and, you know, we should be so lucky, uh, in the Biden presidency. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, where can people find you? Well, uh, pretty much I hang out wherever Talking Feds podcast uh, is around. So we have uh, actually this week we just had for the the so-called sisters-in-law. I just turned over the the keys and let them let them gun it. Uh, Joyce Vance, Barb McQuay, Jill Wine Banks and Maya Wiley. So they're all on their own. And then this week's a really exciting week. We're going to talk Supreme Court with the Larry Tribe as well as Ron Klain. Dahlia Lithwick. So that'll be a cool show. Oh, yeah, that'll be excellent. So everybody check out Talking Feds Pod. Harry Lippman, uh, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks, AG. All right, everybody stick around right after this quick break. We have the good news block. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite game, Best Fiends. Life is really, really stressful right now. Everyone can use a break from either, you know, arguing online, scrolling through Twitter, looking at terrible news, worrying by yourself at home, or, you know, with your pod pets like me. But if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain and enjoying breathtaking visuals and a gripping story, your best answer is Best Fiends. I love Best Fiends because it's a refreshing break from the daily insanity of politics and pandemics, but it keeps your brain focused. It exercises my brain and keeps it active. Best Fiends is a break from stress and anxiety. It's a part of my self-care where I can focus on the character collection uh, and the fun, challenging puzzles and, uh, you know, have fun. Remember fun? I love fun. 
Uh, I started uh, playing Best Fiends as a you know quick distraction, um, and I was totally enthralled by their colors. I love the visual design. I got deeper into the story, and then I started getting my characters all built up and leveling them up, most of which are bugs, uh, and the antagonists are slugs. And you get to collect tons of characters, and you need to use them strategically for each level. It's a thinker. Uh, but you don't have to be a gamer to do it. You can be a casual gamer. So I play more and more in weird places because it doesn't require the internet, which is beautiful, so you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Uh, feels like a good, healthy distraction from being stressed out all the time. Best Fiends treats the game like a service and updates it monthly, so it's always fresh. Best Fiends is truly unique, and it's an exciting puzzle experience unlike any other games out there. Engage your brain with fun puzzles, collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for my favorite segment, The Good News. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, hey, how's it going? Uh, hello, it's good. Uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's good. Yeah, hello, mm-hmm, hello. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are you? I am well, and I would love if I could kick this off with a little bit of Schadenfreude that sort of just gave me a little. A little kickstart this morning when I needed it. Please. Schadenfreude. Um, yeah. Uh, Trump supporters have groups on many social media sites. And the major subreddit of Trump supporters called The Don or The Donald, I think, has been banned uh, for hateful rhetoric. And so has a group of his supporters, the main one on Twitch. So he is his uh, those that they've been they go bye bye. <laughs> so that just makes me very happy. That makes me very happy as well. I hope other uh, social media platforms follow this lead. Yeah, I hope so too. It is a bummer to think about simultaneously the dark web and dark corners of the internet that currently exist where those people are just going to flock to. Uh, also, if they're not already there. But this is a hugely important start. Reddit's huge and frequented by millions and millions of people as is twitch so that's very very important and good that they're doing that all right excellent (laughs) all right (laughs) all right i am yeah no i'm i'm very happy about that um yeah let's get to our listener good news shall we you want to you want to kick it off with anonymous yes i would love to thank you uh yes first one is from anonymous pronoun she her so rewind to 2017 i'm starting the divorce with my husband of 17 years and i'm not in a good mental slash emotional place i've moved to another state where i've never lived and i left my 17 year old son behind as he chose to live with his father if the in the intervening time my son has graduated high school earned his eagle scout badge moved out of his dad's after some being at serious loggerheads with his dad and being an all-around decent adult, working, paying his bills, and taking care of the cat that he's had since he was a toddler. Now it's 2020. Yeah. Now it's 2020. His job has him doing water-slash-mold remediation, and he's working his ass off. When the Rona hits, his company is doing sterilizations of public buildings. Then, when the protests and riots got big, they were doing board-ups, and his team was there getting tear-gassed. Um... Fed up with the bullshit, my now 20-year-old decided he was done with this and that he wants to go to school. He asked me if he could move in with me and start community college by my house as he works towards earning a teaching degree. I told him he was more than welcome and cleaned out the spare room we already had specifically for him. 
In two weeks, I drive back to the Pacific Northwest to pick up my son and his 17-year-old cat. Holy oh. crap. That's an old-ass cat. That is an old right? baby. Right? 17? That's beautiful. Um, I haven't seen him for over a year, and I couldn't be more excited, nervous, and proud. Oh, my gosh. He's oh. far more put together than I was at that age, and I plan on doing whatever it takes to make sure he succeeds. Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. That is such, such, such good news. Yes, that is the best, best news. What a wonderful thing for him to choose to get into. And so beautifully amazing that you have a space uh, ready for him, that you've had ready for him. And you're going to have a rad chapter of your life for both of you. Congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Teaching degree. That's so great. That's so great. And I know they're, they've got to be revamping teaching degrees to include remote teaching. I'm sure they were doing that even before the Rona hit and as as she put it, but like, that's just amazing and wonderful. And, uh, and you haven't seen him in so long and he's got the 17 year old kitty. Oh, it's going to be rad. Mm -hmm. You have to bring him to a a meet and greet one of these Fridays (laughs) or at least the cat. Yeah, we should, we should have a a cat segment for our meet and greets. The the first 20 minutes of our live shows can just, we'll just bring all the cats on stage. Bring your cats (laughs) to work day, right? (laughs) We'll institute it. All right. Next, uh, next story from anonymous. Uh, they did not provide pronouns. Uh, and anonymous says, I want to submit this because I'm in tears right now about how this administration has put us all in danger. Uh, and the revelations about bounties on our troops abroad. I need to remember, we all need to remember, that there are millions of small good deeds that go unsung, but carry our humanity. My son picked up a friend from work last night, and as they drove, she said, stop, there's a dog. So they stopped and picked up this little spastic dog, proceed to the emergency vet and have his chip scanned because he has no collar, and then they found the owner and reunited them. So many small, wonderful things like this happen every day, and we need to call them out, especially in this shit show. Thanks for your show and all you do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yay. I'm so glad that worked out. Yes. That's Are most dogs chipped nowadays? Uh, I would think so. I would tend to think so. Yeah. Is Olive? Uh, yep. Yeah. Every time I find a Olive's pet, chipped, yeah. I take them and see if they, if they got a chip in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right. These these amazing, like Mr. Rogers said, find the helpers. And there you go. There's a helper. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that you shared it with us because they do need to be shared. And that's that's what we're doing. So thank you for sending that in so much. Yes. Thank you. Uh, finally, from Kelly pronoun she, her. Kelly says, this past week, my husband and I were lucky enough to get passes into Yosemite uh, post reopening. I'd never been there, not since childhood, or he not since childhood. We camped off site at a campground and all places were following social distancing, thank goodness. Yosemite is a wonder, and while I'm no John Muir, I can definitely say that being there truly takes you outside yourself and puts life and all of its problems into perspective. Shit may suck right now in a lot of ways, but to see grand rock formations, tree-filled valleys, and canyons carved out over millennia, you remember that right now is only temporary, and so many things remain seemingly unchanged at first glance, but time and nature is changing everything, and all of us, ever so slightly, every day, hopefully for the better. If you can, if it's safe enough for you to do so, get outside, wear a mask, bring hand sanitizer, use caution, but go. Find a place you can drive to in a day with a super dark sky and see the Milky Way, a natural wonder of some sort, the wilderness, nature, and experience some sort of awe. Awe is an underutilized emotion that grounds us and inspires us and helps us to hold on until tomorrow. 
Holy shit, Kelly. It's like that was written for me. Yeah, I was just going to say, Jordan loves this good news uh, (laughs) story. Um, This is so Jordan. It really is. Um, And wow, that's that's so well written, Kelly. If you're a writer, you need to be a writer. Yes, that is a wolf shirt in a paragraph. Mm. A wolf shirt in a paragraph. I love it. Yeah, I feel (laughs) like... I feel the same way about the Grand Canyon. You know, I go to the Grand Canyon and it just takes your breath, like literally takes your breath away. And and I, I don't mean figuratively. I mean, actually. Um, and it's it's incredible. I'm so glad that you got to experience that. And, and you know, what good advice? Um, obviously, be safe and social distance and <clears throat> do what you need to do um, to make sure that you're safe. But awe is definitely underutilized um we're so Mm -hmm. behind our screens and in our houses and i think that that is taking a toll on a lot of us mentally um Mm -hmm. i'm no expert um i'm just old and it just feels right so (laughs) Mm -hmm. if i if i may share uh my favorite quote from emmanuel kant he he said uh two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe the more often and steadily we reflect upon them, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. I remember seeing that at a, uh, it was like a space space museum in San Francisco. And I just remember reading that and that sat with me. It hit, hit well. It hit well? It hit good. <laughs> it hit well. <laughs> it, it felt good. It hit well. It felt, it felt good. Yeah, it's... It's so true. The heavens above me and the moral law within me. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. Good news. Yeah. You know, our friend, uh, Jordan, do you follow Rob Dees? Oh, on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Or on Facebook or anywhere? No, I don't think so. He's a respiratory therapist by day. He's extremely busy, obviously. Um, but he does this kind of thing. He goes out, he takes those big circular photographs and panoramas and photographs the Milky Way and the moon and goes out to like the middle of nowhere and is in his just his every spare moment he has, he's out, you know, like just like she said, under a dark sky taking photos and, and uh or you know, canoeing or kayaking, excuse me, not canoeing. Um but yeah, you should you should check him out because he like fills my soul with his posts, and he's also a very talented um, musician here locally, um, and he's he's a good he's a good one to support because I know a lot you know all of our musician and comedian friends are struggling, so mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Thank you. I will check them out. No problem. Everyone else should too. Um, all right, uh, you know what's coming next, right? Oh, oh, final thoughts. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, make a, make it a great day or not. The choice, <laughs> the choice is, is yours. yours. <laughs> That's what my middle school principal always said, and I just wanted to say it for once. Yeah, that whole last that, yes. that whole last good news story from Kelly was pretty much a just a perfect final thought, right? Uh, awe is an underutilized emotion <laughs> that grounds us and inspires us and helps us to hold on <laughs> until tomorrow. So I think we should, yeah, give that final thought to Kelly and uh, everybody else. Please, continue. I think so too. <laughs> please continue to send it, yeah, because we're just like farts and poop, and I like <laughs> cheese. And how um, do I end? I had a tube of 
thin mints today. Like, I, yes, <laughs> I, feel I, so, I, I feel so parochial compared to Kelly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me as well. <laughs> I just go back to fart cop and I'll just talk about that for 10 hours. Um, uh, anyway, send them in. You can uh, hit us up on our pin tweet at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter. There's a link there. Or you can go to our website. Um, any of our podcast names will take you to the website. You just Google it and click on it. It's right there. And you'll be able to do that. And uh, also, you can send your quarantine confessions in. We need your quarantine confessions. We'll be recording on Thursday of this week, releasing Friday for patrons and Saturday for the public. And, of course, we also want your input for what we're going to do as a theme this Friday for the live stream crowdcast meet and greet Q&A bonanza happy hour situation. Um, we do need to come up with a good acronym for that. I'll work on it tomorrow. Uh, so check that out and uh, would love it if you would uh, make a suggestion. Somebody suggested... Um, pro-choice because of the decision today, um, you know, striking down the the stupid Louisiana abortion law that limited access to abortions. Uh, but if you've got anything that you're, you know, any kind of theme that you're interested in, it can be it can be anything. We can do sixties, we could do seventies. Uh, we did eighties, nineties would be terrible. Uh, but you know. Think of something. Let us know. You can even email it to us at hello at mullersherote.com. And that's it, everybody. Uh, please, until tomorrow, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the planet. And take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.